Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the campaign edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC, day four of the federal election campaign. And the focus turns to the economy as the inflation rate spikes to its highest level in a decade. A big election surprise to talk about in Nova Scotia as the progressive conservatives win a majority government there. Could, could there be an impact on the federal campaign? Well, federal candidates will be here to talk about that and key developments in the campaign today. Pollster David Coletto, he'll be here as well with some new numbers about the mounting concerns over COVID and uh, the effect it's having in the campaign. And Canada's response to the crisis in Afghanistan. This Afghan-Canadian accusing the government of uh, really not following through on promises to a desperate country and the people there. But first, day four on the campaign trail. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh was in Burnaby, British Columbia today, campaigning in a province where the NDP needs to hold on to or grow its 11 seats. Singh focused on the lack of affordable housing, promising an NDP government would build 500,000 affordable homes over the next decade and would slap a 20% tax on foreign home buyers. We would invest significantly and seriously in building homes that are within people's budgets, building affordable homes, whether they're not-for-profit or cooperative, or building homes within the rental market that are affordable, or homes that people can, can buy. We have done this in the past as a nation. We can do it again. Numbers released today show Canada's inflation rate in July took a big jump to 3.7%, the highest year-over-year increase in a decade. To be clear, some of the gap is because of how low inflation was at the beginning of the pandemic a year ago. But still, the cost of new housing up almost 14%, furniture prices up over 13%, new vehicle costs up more than 5%, meat and dairy products also up more than 3%. Singh responded to the jump in the cost of living. If we're not investing in people in a crisis, the only outcome will be that those at the very top get richer and everyone else struggles. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole campaigned in Quebec City, where the party holds five seats in the Quebec City region and has targeted at least two more. O'Toole highlighted the party's election promise to introduce tougher ethics laws if the Conservatives form government. Aaron O'Toole also zeroed in on the jump in inflation in July and pointed the finger of blame squarely at his opponents. Mr. Trudeau's spending, Mr. Trudeau's economic approach is leading to inflation. People are not being able to afford groceries, gas. We're already in a housing crisis. For seniors on fixed income, for families at the margins, inflation is pricing them out of their way of life. Small business owners have been telling me for months they're seeing costs go up while they're already holding on by a thread. Canada's recovery plan addresses that. O'Toole is also celebrating the election results in Nova Scotia. Progressive Conservative leader Tim Houston won a majority government on Tuesday night after promising massive spending to rebuild health care in the province. I love the results on the ground in Nova Scotia. It's a sign of a couple of things. Canadians are demanding leadership and a plan for the future. And governments, incumbents, can't just have elections at their own convenience for their own self-interest. That's exactly what Mr. Trudeau is doing right now. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau campaigned in Vancouver today in a province ravaged again by wildfires and scorching temperatures. 
Trudeau announced a re-elected Liberal government will provide $500 million to the provinces to hire 1,000 community firefighters and purchase more firefighting equipment. Asked about today's major jump in inflation, Trudeau pointed to the difference in economic priorities between Liberals and Conservatives. When I think about the biggest, most important economic policy this government, if re-elected, would move forward, You'll forgive me if I don't think about monetary policy. Uh, you'll understand that I think about families. When we first got elected in 2015, the very first thing we did was raise taxes on the wealthiest 1% so we could lower them for the middle class. And similarly, uh, a re-elected Liberal government will continue to invest in supports for families. Trudeau was also asked about the provincial Liberal defeat in Nova Scotia and what effect that could have on the national campaign. I think what we saw is that uh, election campaigns are an important moment for uh, citizens to choose what direction they want their country, their communities to take. That's why here at the, uh, in, the, in this federal election, uh, the choices are so incredibly important for Canadians. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette made a stop along the Canada-U.S. border today, where he criticized the Liberal government's handling of the pandemic. Instead of... Uh, terribly sad improvisation as we have seen in the last year and a half. Resources and procedures that have to be implemented, that would have to be implemented, was such a crisis to come again, or another part of the present crisis was to come again, people would know what to do. And Green Party leader Annamie Paul campaigned in Toronto, where she called for enhancements to Canada's social safety net. And that's the kind of day it's been, day four of the federal campaign. Well, housing and the cost of living, big issues on the campaign trail today, and lots of politicos looking at those election results in Nova Scotia last night and wondering whether those results might have any bearing on the national campaign. Let's bring in three candidates to talk about the campaign today. Sean Fraser is the Liberal candidate and incumbent MP in the Nova Scotia riding of Central Nova. Eric Duncan is the Conservative candidate and incumbent MP in the Ontario riding of Stormont, Dundas, South Glengarry. And Lisa Roberts is the NDP candidate in the riding of Halifax. Good to see you all. Uh, Mr. Fraser, let me start with you. Pocketbook issues coming up on the campaign today as Canadians hear an inflation rate for July of 3.7%, a big jump. Uh, what's your party doing to help Canadians deal with the rising cost of living? Uh, well, thanks for the question, Peter. And it's been a priority for our government from the very time we got elected to make sure that we could help uh, address the uh, affordability issues that impact quality of life for folks. Uh, the very first thing we did when we got elected was raise taxes on the wealthiest so we could cut them for the middle class. We introduced the Canada Child Benefit to put more money in the pockets of 9 out of 10 Canadian families and have uh, had a series of policies since then that are directly trying to put more money in the pockets of families in need. Over the when course you, of this when you pandemic... See a, when you see a jump in the number of 3.7% year to year, uh, July to July, uh, how much does that concern you? Uh, well, if you actually dig into the details and you look at what actually constitutes the increase, uh, what you'll see is there was a significant increase in the price of, of gasoline, which is normally a very serious thing. But in July of last year, of course, when people were just finally starting to drive around a little bit in the summer after the first wave, uh, prices were severely depressed. 
Uh, the target rate for the Bank of Canada is between 1% and 3%. Uh, they've indicated publicly on many occasions that this is well within the normal rate of fluctuation. I'm not particularly concerned about uh, cross-the-board inflation running amok. I am particularly concerned about the ability of citizens who have gone through a once-in-a-century pandemic and associated economic crisis and getting the support they need to keep food on the table and a roof over their heads. Right, Mr. And that's what's characterized our pandemic response to date. Mr. Duncan, a lot of the experts look at the jump in inflation and note that it's not a Canada-only thing. Economies are reopening. That's putting pressure on demand and so prices are rising. Uh, what specific policies is your party advancing to make life more affordable for Canadians? Well, Peter, again, just what we heard there, with all due respect to Sean, they're talking about things that were done six years ago. I think Canadians, when they're looking at the inflation crisis that we've got here now, the highest in 20 years, 3.7%, and it is twice as high nearly as what the government's target is. So it is a serious issue and one that we need to address, and it's showing that the Liberals' plan is not working. By contrast, what are we going to do? We have Canada's recovery plan that's focusing on getting our economy firing on all cylinders. We can get supply up, we can get people back to work, get everything going, like I said, firing all up again. That is going to help our economy. That's going to lower cost of living. And again, our party has a very good record right. when it comes to supporting Canadians and lowering the cost of living. We have a full detailed plan. It's been announced on day two of the campaign. It's got a lot of measures to lower the cost but, of but living is this, for folks right, and but get it, us under control. But very quickly, is this rate worrisome to you, or do you believe it's part of, a, of, of economies reopening uh, during a pandemic and as hopefully the pandemic eases? So uh, how worrisome is this number? Very worrisome, Peter, because, again, the government's own target through their own projections and goals was 2%. They're now at 3.7%, nearly double of what they said. So even by the government's own measures of what good inflation would be, they're nearly twice that. It's a disaster, and it shows their plan is not working. Not talking about stuff from six okay. years ago. We're in August 2021. It's not working. Okay, Lisa Roberts, your leader, focused on housing today with a promise to build more affordable housing and slap a 20% tax on foreign home buyers. Uh, housing costs uh, are, are a big main driver of the current increase in inflation. So how do you believe... Uh, you know, the Liberals have failed on this file because that's where the NDP was focused today. Well, absolutely. They, they have failed to tackle um, a housing crisis, part of which we see in the rise in, in housing prices. And I think, uh, you know, bringing in a significant tax on foreign uh, foreign owner purchases is important because we know that any any purchase by a foreign owner can distort the whole market um, as as that comp then becomes calculated in and and frankly when when Canadians uh, you know have not seen the sort of wage increases to keep up with the increase in real estate prices that's having a real impact on on people's families on people's ability to to even start families um and so we need leadership on that and we need we need leadership that is grounded in a belief and in and in a commitment to housing as a human right as opposed to housing as a financial asset, right. which is what we are seeing across the country. L let me st stick with housing, Mr. Fraser, uh, and very quick answers, if I can, from all of you. Time is short tonight. But, so, you know, how uh, liberals have made lots of promises about housing. You've got a national housing strategy, but a lot of critics say it's not moving quickly enough. Um, how, how much focus does there need to be on that issue? And is there on that issue in this campaign? 
oh, there has to be an enormous focus on this, but let's not pretend that we're, we're new to this game. It was years ago that we introduced that national housing strategy. But what's more important to me, in the communities that I represent, we actually have new buildings that are up and families who have a roof over their head. We have to tackle both the affordable housing crisis to make sure low-income families have a place to call home that they can afford, but we also have to address housing affordability. That's why we're moving forward with things like a tax to avoid speculation, to drive down demand and keep prices lower by making sure that non-resident, non-Canadian uh, investors are not snapping up condominiums, which are driving up demand and pushing the prices higher and higher. There's not a silver bullet when it comes to housing policy. We need to build more stock. We need to watch demand closely and we need to increase supply. The policies that we put in place are doing precisely those things. And yes, I wish it could happen faster, but our mission is to eradicate homelessness, homelessness in Canada and make sure that every Canadian has a home that they can afford. Mr. Duncan, let me hear you on housing policy. So on housing policy, we have in our platform to build a million new homes over the course of three years. We're going to partner with provinces and municipalities more aggressively to get more homes, new homes built. That's going to help get more into the market. That's going to help with pricing. And we own things, Peter, as well as a detailed piece as well. When we do transit-oriented infrastructure in cities, we're going to fo focus new density and residential density around transit stations. That's good for transit users. That's good for supply and new homes. And that's actually going to tangibly address the issue. Again, the Liberals are saying, give us a seventh year and we'll try to fix it. We've got a plan that'll come into effect right away, not theoretically years and years away. Uh, Lisa Roberts, let me hear you on um, on on the need for a, a refocus on this issue. Uh, as I say, your leader talked about it today, but um, where do we need to go here? Well, I think we need to look at how we how we support housing to be built and to be and to be acquired by the cooperative sector, by the nonprofit sector, and by and by the government, be it provincial or municipal. What we have seen and what we are seeing here in Halifax, where people are protesting about the eviction of, of people mm -hmm. who are homeless and living in, in shelters and in tents today, is is government support going to developers in response, uh, you know, in exchange for relatively um, unaffordable housing for most people for relatively short periods of time. So we need a reorientation of the national housing strategy towards housing that people can afford. Okay, I need really quick answers here. I want to turn to the election results in Nova Scotia last night. Uh, progressive Conservatives sweeping the Liberals out with a new majority government there. Mr. Fraser, as a Liberal candidate uh, for the party in Nova Scotia, um, what do you think those results could have on support for the Liberals in the national election? Uh, look, let me begin by uh, uh, saying congratulations to my friend and neighbour, uh, Premier-designate uh, Tim Hewson. Um, uh, although there was certainly a clear result last night with the majority PC government, uh, even Tim was very clear to distinguish the PC party in Nova Scotia from the federal counterparts uh, with the Conservative Party of Canada. When you look at policies around uh, climate change, around child care, uh, around gay conversion therapy, around the legalization of assault weapons, uh, it's very clear they are not the same party. You know, I'd suggest that I probably have more in common uh, with my progressive conservative counterparts in Nova Scotia uh, than they do with their federal counterparts with the Conservative okay, Party Mr. of Canada. Mr. Duncan, what is the what is a win by a red Tory? Uh, have, does it have any influence on the national vote? The vote, absolutely. I think it shows momentum. I think it shows campaign matters. Uh, Tim Houston was down 26 points in the polls. Elections matter. He ran a great campaign. The Liberals ran a bad campaign. They won a majority government on a clear, concise message of economic recovery and a detailed plan. 
Peter, we've okay. got the same thing here. The first couple of days of the campaign, Justin Trudeau has been saying gaff after gaff, going back on retractions. We've been getting a solid message out. I'm seeing a lot of similarities, and kudos to all my friends. I was texting lots of candidates and volunteers. Okay. I'm smiling from ear to ear today. All right. Uh, Lisa Roberts, final word to you here. What do those results mean in Nova Scotia, the national campaign? Well, I mean, it means that uh, a lot of NDP volunteers are, are pretty tired because they've just been through a provincial campaign, but we're also fired up. I think we really had an impact on this campaign in terms of putting housing and the affordability of housing right at the center of the campaign, including, you know, fighting for rent control. And uh, we have won three out of five of the provincial uh, constituencies that make up the federal riding of Halifax, where I'm going to be the candidate. And I'm very, will be very grateful if those same voters will come out. All right, and so there, there could be a, a direct personal uh, uh, benefit for you. We'll see you at, on election day. Thank you all for your time tonight. Appreciate it. A pleasure as always. We'll talk Thank again you. soon. Canadians know that the way to get through this pandemic is for everyone to get vaccinated. So unless people have a medical exception, they will not be able to board a plane or a train in Canada if they are unvaccinated. That is about protecting our young people. It's about protecting Canadians. We are absolutely unequivocal on that because this is how we get through this pandemic. So as we watch the debate over mandatory vaccinations continue on the campaign trail and as COVID-19 cases continue to climb, voter anxiety is rising too, and that's showing up in the latest election polling. Let's bring in David Coletto, the CEO of Abacus Data. David, good to see you again. Uh, first of all, tell me about this latest survey of public opinion. What do we need to know about the, uh, the nuts and bolts of this survey? So good to see you, Peter. We interviewed uh, 1,500 Canadians online from August 12th to the 16th. So this survey was partially done after the, the election call, partially done before, uh, but I think it starts to give us some insight into how public opinion is reacting uh, in these early days of the campaign. All right, so we see the mood shifting in uh, voter intentions. What's happening? Well, we've seen a, a decline in, in Liberal vote share. They, they're still in the lead at the national level. They've got a five-point lead over the Conservatives. They're at 33%, the Conservatives at 28 and the NDP's at 22, which is a, a slight two-point increase, but but a, a trend that we've been seeing now over over a number of weeks with the NDP hitting what in our tracking is a, a new high um, for the for the past year. But the Liberals still have a lead nationally, um, and the Greens, I'll just say, are at five uh, percent nationally with the block at seven as well. All right. How does that support breakdown uh, by province? We'll go through these fairly quickly. Are there any key changes we should look for? Let's start in British Columbia. Yeah, British Columbia is a, a three-way race. I think, you know, we had seen a, a slightly larger Liberal lead there. I think that's going to ebb and flow. We also typically have a little smaller sample sizes in BC than, say, in Ontario and Quebec. But we're looking at BC as one of the key battlegrounds where there'll be lots of three-way races. Um, in Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba and the Prairies, large lib uh, Conservative leads, mind you. Um, but... Um, you know, the Conservatives seem to have a lower vote share, particularly in Alberta, than they would normally expect. And so that's something for us to continue to watch. It, it may have an impact on a few seats in Calgary and Edmonton. In Ontario, we see a slightly smaller Liberal lead, uh, but six points is, is probably smaller than we've seen in the past. We're going to continue to watch that with the right. NDP in third. Um, Quebec has the Liberals slightly ahead of the block by three points. That's more or less what we've seen for, for a number of weeks. And then out in Atlantic Canada, where we had the results yesterday in Nova Scotia, 
and a surprise progressive conservative win, uh, we've got the liberals still well ahead by 27 points over uh, the conservatives and over 20 points uh, with the NDP in second there. Right. Just on that, have you seen anything in your in your polling numbers that suggests there's any kind of a, a big shift happening there? People on the campaign today are reading in the possibility that, look, uh, things might be changing in what's largely been a super liberal friendly landscape in Atlantic Canada. I think it's too early for us to say that I mean, this survey was done before that result came out, but we see no indication of a big shift towards the Conservatives, say, in, in Nova Scotia or in any, any part of the province. But I think it's an indi- I, I think the lesson to take from Nova Scotia, in my mind, is uh, campaigns matter. And so, you know, what we're saying today, although it's the, the, the view we have today from our poll, mm-hmm. Few weeks from now, uh, we could see something very different, and that's what Nova Scotia continues to remind us. All right, watch for that. What, what's happening when you ask Canadians to weigh in on the job the government's been doing? What are you seeing? Pretty steady numbers here. Uh, in our latest poll, we have 44% who approve, uh, 41% who disapprove, a slight increase in, in that disapproval over the last week. Um, that could be related to, to anything from Afghanistan to, to, to the, the rising number of cases, uh, just, a, just a, a general dis dissatisfaction with what uh, the government's doing or, or saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but always keep in mind that today uh, and at the start of this campaign, government approval rating is higher than it was in 2019. So this remains a stronger position for the Liberal government going into this campaign. And when you ask them to look ahead at, uh, at where we're headed, uh, what do Canadians answer to that question? Well, here we're starting to see some shifts, right? Um, fewer Canadians today than compared to last week say the country's headed in the right direction. 41% today compared to 46% last week. That five-point shift is real, and I think it's related to the rising number of cases uh, of COVID-19 across the country. Uh, we also see the same kind of mood shift when it comes to how people feel about the United States' direction, how people feel about the, the direction of, of the world more generally. So the campaign started with, with most Canadians in a fairly positive mood. We're starting to see a little bit of a deterioration. That doesn't mean bad things for the incumbents or good things for the opposition, but perhaps uh, some volatile uh, public attitudes that might impact how people are going to consume politics and think about the election and ultimately vote. All right, let's talk leadership and impressions of the main party leaders. Uh, any significant changes to look for there? No real change from, from our first survey that we talked about on the weekend. Uh, Trudeau's about equal on positive negatives. Mr. O'Toole remains the most uh, unpopular and Mr. Singh uh, has the strongest numbers going to the um, a slight increase for Mr. Trudeau's negatives, but overall, uh, you know, the overall story is the same as we saw, um, and and you can see it on your screen yeah. there what, what these numbers look like. Now, the leaders may be dealing with an increasingly pessimistic electorate here. How, how worried are Canadians about where we are? Well, this is what's new in our research today is we're starting to see an uptick in in those who say they're getting worried again about the pandemic. A few weeks ago or a month ago. We had far more people saying they're getting less worried than they're getting more worried. Today, uh, we now have the reverse. So 38% of Canadians say over the last few days they are getting more worried about this pandemic. 20% say they're getting less worried. And then when we ask people, you know, do they think the worst is still to come when it comes to the pandemic or is the worst behind us? Uh, over the last month, we've seen an increase in that, that pessimistic perspective. So we're not as uh, anxious or un, uh, uncertain about the future as we were a few months ago in the midst of the third wave. But this is the first time in a number of weeks that we're starting to see increased anxiety, which could either play to the prime minister's 
um, you know, real push for mandates uh, for vaccinations and vaccine passports, or um, might might get people thinking, well, maybe this government isn't the best at managing this pandemic. But it's certainly uh, already indicating that that public opinion is not static, and and thing and the pandemic could play a role in in how people approach uh, their vote. Um, on election day. All right, so some fluidity here, perhaps. So we'll keep a close eye on all of these numbers and uh, we'll talk again soon. David Coletto, thanks for your time. Thanks, Peter. Lots more questions on the campaign trail again today about Canada's response to the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan and efforts uh, by Canada to spirit Afghans from that country. Veterans groups and other organizations frustrated at what they say is the government's lack of urgency in bringing to Canada Afghan interpreters, drivers, others who helped Canadians during the war in that country. Razmin Saeed is an Afghan-Canadian who came to Canada as a refugee and she is with Red Leaf Canadian Settlement Organization working to bring more Afghan nationals to Canada to escape the Taliban takeover now. Uh, Ms. Saeed, first of all, thanks for your time tonight. I know this is a very stressful time. What have you been hearing from people in Afghanistan, relatives, others who are trying to get to Canada? What kind of danger are they facing right now? Thanks, Peter. Well, the situation is being is unpredictable changing hour by hour um, and we're in constant fear of our relatives and friends and family in Afghanistan. Um, the Taliban has created multiple checkpoints to stop individuals from entering the airport. Uh, there were reports today that the Taliban have killed a number of children for raising the Afghan flag. And we've been hearing on the ground reports of the Taliban knocking doors and making a target list. Um, so the situation is, is it's, it's in need of, you know, intervention right now. And, and you are, you, 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 uh, you have um, immediate relatives uh, still in the country and, and what are they facing right now? Yes, I do have uh, immediate relatives. I have a number of family members, and this is this is basically why all of this started. Uh, try to help them with in any way that we could. Um, mm -hmm. Right now, they are scared for their lives. I have a number of cousins that are um, between twelve and eighteen, or um, that would be that would be possibly kidnapped to become. The, the Prime Minister said today, and you touched on it, that it's largely these Taliban checkpoints making it difficult to reach more of those Afghan interpreters, fixers, others uh, that have helped Canadians in Afghanistan and have been promised that Canada will take them in. Uh, but we've heard lots of criticism of red tape, security demands of, of the Immigration Department. Uh, what have you experienced? What are you hearing about what's causing the difficulties in being able to spirit more of these Afghans to Canada? Um, I can only speak for, for my experience in terms of the, the work that we've been doing um, in, in, in uh, connecting individuals to mm -hmm. resources. Um, I think there's just some, there's unclear um, criteria for mm -hmm. uh, the Afghan resettlement program that's been launched. We are uh, desperately trying to find more information um, to help our families and to help Afghan Canadians that are that are in 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 fear of.
their families in Afghanistan. Okay, tell me more about the, the resettlement program. You, you, I know you've had some, uh, you've talked about how the, the sort of changing criteria and so on. What's been changing? Tell, give me an example of why it's so difficult to make this work. I think initially when it was launched, we all saw this resettlement program um, and as we, I don't want to speak for anyone, but the individuals that I have been talking to um, and the organizations that we've been talking to, um, we saw this as, as hope. We saw this as a way to save our families. We saw this as a way that um, for family reunification. And um, however, mm -hmm. I've been noticing that it's been changing um, and um, what used to uh, say that it used to state that, you know, Afghans um, that are currently in Afghanistan and in danger can leave the country, can can apply for this program. Uh, now it's it's um, it's only it only includes Afghans that have already fled the country. Right. We've, we've heard some of that. So it's the, the you say it's been changed to in effect. Uh, uh, I, it affects shuts out uh, people who are now involved in the in in the crisis in Afghanistan itself. They have to have left the country to take advantage of the the, the resettlement program, correct? Yeah, and 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 if I can just add, Peter, to that, um, you know, embassies are closed. Nobody is giving. People are not giving out visas, um, and and I'm and I know that uh, programs take time and and are. Um, and, and I'm grateful for the fact that there is an opportunity to even discuss these um, programs and have an opportunity to to influence possibly. Um, however, I, I think I think that we just need to act faster. Um, and as an emergency management responder, um, I know how quickly we can act. I know how quickly we can design and implement programs. Um, so, and that's all my ask. I'm not here right, to. To move more quickly. Uh, all right, uh, we'll keep in touch. Razmi and Saeed, uh, uh, thanks so much for your time tonight, and we'll um, see where this story goes. And uh, 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 wish you the best of luck. Uh, I know it's a stressful time, as I said earlier, and I hope all all turns out okay for uh, your family members and relatives still in Afghanistan. Thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate it. And that's all for this edition, a campaign edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC. I'm Peter Van Dusen. Thanks for watching. See you next time.